3: What's up, everybody? Hope you're having a beautiful day today. Honestly, is today Thursday?
4: Today is Thursday. Girl, I'm
3: like, what day is it? I just know it's Cinco de Mayo. And, and I, I, I don't I don't say Thursday is Cinco de Mayo. That says the May 5th.
4: You know what? I, I feel like Cinco de Mayo should always fall on a Friday. Really? Just in the
3: name of United
4: States arrogance and well, ignorance.
3: If you live in California or Los Angeles specifically, Thursdays are basically Fridays. Everyone treats a Thursday as like, oh, it's a part of the weekend. This to, really? We're chilling out Do like we're really? going to the parties, like events out here on Thursdays. I yes, people are more relaxed because Fridays you're not really doing much.
4: Well, I got to be up at 4 a.m. Uh, so Friday well, I will be doing something. Well, okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, the voice you hear is Char D'Assel filling in for the one and only Char, uh, Shira Lazar, who is actually out because it's her birthday tomorrow. But oh. of course, we're celebrating her birthday today. And once she comes back, it's going to be her
4: whole birthday month. Taurus season. Happy birthday, Shira. Oh,
3: Also, happy birthday to uh, producer Vanessa, uh, producer of the Morning
4: Beats. Shout out to you, queen. She just turned 31 yesterday. I wasn't going to tell her age. I mean, she doesn't mind. Yeah. Uh, I hope she doesn't. We (laughs) talked about it this morning. I hope she doesn't mind me telling her age.
3: Well, we have a very fun show coming up today. I hope you're ready for it because we're talking, of course, Cinco de Mayo. And actually, why is it so popular here in the States versus it not being popular? popular at all in Mexico. At we're, all. We're literally talking about that later on in today. Just and then, today. Why are some companies working on new COVID-19 vaccines? What you need to know. And coming up in 10 minutes, the White House is scrambling to find ways to protect abortion rights. Are they doing enough? Honey, we're going to just talk about it completely with a political commentator, Jackie Coppel. but I think we should get into what's happening in the show. Some uh, top-of-the-hour news. You ready? I'm ready. So, Robert Reagan, a Republican candidate uh, for the Michigan House of Representatives, lost an election he was heavily favored to win last night to Democrat Carol Glanville. Now, Reagan became uh, infamous during the election for publicly joking about telling his daughters to, quote, lie back and enjoy uh. being raped. In March, uh, Reagan shocked voters when he made his rape comment during a casual live stream video event sponsored by the conservative Michigan Rescue Coalition. During the event, this is when Reagan was asked whether he thought Republicans should continue efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election, and in response he compared accepting the election's results to laying back and accepting a rape. Y'all want to hear it? Probably not, but I'm going to play it. Here is that
5: clip. And I tell my daughters, well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it. So um, that's not how we roll. That's not how I won the selection. We go right at it. And so, you know, what we did, we're Goliath right now. We knocked it. The-
3: so, yeah, he literally said, I have three dollars and this is what I tell them. And through various state Republican officials, uh, al- although various state Republican officials denounce Reagan's remarks without ever specifically referencing them, the state uh, party never asked him with- to withdraw his candidacy, which, honestly, I want to say is shocking, but not really. Last night, Reagan lost 52 to 40 percent in his race against Glanville. It was a race he was initially expected to win as a Republican candidate won the seat by 63% in 2020. I guess don't make great jokes in 2022, I just, huh?
4: I really am fearful for girls and daughters that are raised with fathers like yeah. this. Like, it is terrifying. It
3: is terrifying, but I want to go into some happy news. Corrine John Pierre will become the new White House press secretary when Jen Psaki departs her role in the coming weeks. President Joe Biden announced in a statement today, becoming the first black and out LGBTQ person to hold the position. Uh, Kareen currently serves. Wait, are those two
4: separate? titles or like together?
3: Together. I mean the first black and out LGBTQ wow. person to hold the position of wow, press secretary. I must um, so of course um, Kareen uh, currently serves as the White House's uh, principal deputy press secretary. This is huge. Honestly I'm very very excited. Um, John pierre will formally begin uh, following Jen Psaki's last day which will be uh, May 13th. CNN reported on in April that uh, Jen was planning on leaving her role mm-hmm. for one at MSNBC and I Honestly, give her a show because I want to see her all the time.
4: You know what? I wouldn't mind or have her as a correspondent. And you know, the 13th is next week. Yeah, it is next week. Which is middle of the month.
3: (laughs) (laughs) take a shot every time uh, Char literally talks about the calendar
4: or says some date. Please. I always have to troll Ryan. I'm sorry. The 13th. By the time you get back from New York, it'll be middle of the month. Please. 15 days till your rent is due. Please. And out, the Out Loud Festival. Well, guess what I'm going to do because we don't have, now we don't
3: have any time to talk about your tea report, <laughs> which I really wanted to do because I'm quite I'll carry interested in this. Um, i it But tease a little bit about it.
4: All right. So Garcelle Beauvais, yes, that Garcelle Beauvais from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She's an actress, a host. She's speaking out about some some harmful work conditions down at The View. Find out her history coming up in the next hour.
3: All right. Well, up next, the White House is scrambling to find ways to protect abortion rights. Is there anything President Biden can do? Political commentator Jackie Coppell joins us up next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: Now, in the hours after a leaked Supreme Court document uh, signaled the court was uh, poised to overturn Roe v. Wade in the coming weeks, President Biden vowed to fight to protect access to abortion. He said this in a statement. uh, We will be ready when any ruling is issued. And here's actually what uh, Vice President Kamala Harris had to say uh, during a speech recently.
7: Women's rights in America are under
6: attack.
7: If the court overturns Roe v. Wade, it will be a direct assault on freedom, on the fundamental right of self-determination, to which all Americans are entitled. Roe protects the right to access abortion. It also protects a woman's right to make decisions about what she does with her
3: own body. A political commentator, Drexel Heard, joining us to talk about, is the White House doing enough as they are scrambling for ways to protect abortion? Thank you so much for joining me, Drexel. How you doing?
5: Of course. I'm good. How are you doing?
3: You know, I think it's uh, been a, a quite a crazy week, uh, you know, for lack of better words. You know... <laughs> I do feel like uh, the White House, President Biden and Vice President Kamala here have really been put in an interesting situation here. Because if if people aren't as politically savvy as you are, are, you know, as kind of we are here in this room, I wonder, are they just now placing the blame on President Joe Biden if he doesn't work fast enough? What do you think about that right now?
5: Well, I think the president was pretty clear a couple of days ago on his statement that right now, Uh, And it just goes back to what you said about the president, the the, the blame being laid at the feet of the president of the United States. That's like saying gas prices get laid at the feet of the president of the United States and some of these other major issues that the White House actually can and cannot control. Uh, In this case, the president has plainly said uh, that that his administration is going to have to work directly with states like California uh, and a lot of the other blue uh, states held by Democratic legislatures to say, hey, look, we need to be able to protect. And have safe havens across this, the country, uh, to protect women at, at, at this crucial time right now. Uh, and so right now, I do think that that is the only option the White House has as outside of the executive action, uh, to expand, uh, Medicare and other programs, uh, to give women access to the abortion care, uh, that they need. Uh, and so I think those, there are very few steps that the White House can do. Uh, but it is going to take a lot of the legislature And maybe some of these smaller cities or these big cities like Atlanta, Los Angeles, uh, um, uh, Charlotte, uh, Raleigh, a lot of these major cities to say, hey, look, we are also going to be safe haven for women in our state.
4: Why does it appear that there's more upheaval and more conversation around who did the leaking versus, you know, tangible action to make sure that women's rights and I mean, just reproductive rights as a whole, because we know that trans men and non-binary people can also get pregnant. Um, rights are protected why is there more of a focus on where did the leak come from and who leaked versus tangible steps to protect this classified group of people
5: well the only people that are talking about the actual leak itself are Republicans and uh, Republicans would like to protect their own uh, failures rather than uh, uh, doing the actual work to protect the American people uh, you can know you cannot be pro-life if you're not pro woman. And, and if you're not protecting uh, our, our, our pro-LGBT or pro LGBT or pro trans rights or anybody, you cannot be pro life if you are not out there actually trying to protect life. And yeah. uh, Republicans are trying to distract from the fact that it's very possible that the loot came from a conservative clerk. Uh, and if that does come out, Uh, because that clerk wanted to try to put more pressure on the conservative justices, then that's something that Chief Justice Roberts and the FBI are probably going to find out at some point. And when that comes out, it will add another layer to the Republican circus uh, that we've seen for the past few decades as they have tried to solidify their, into the history books, their opposition to abortion rights and women's rights and trans rights in this country.
3: Yeah, and if you're just now joining us, we're actually speaking to political commentator Drexel Hurd. And the really interesting thing that's been popping up is about the filibuster because according to the Washington Post, they're saying inside the White House, some officials, including Biden, also worry that if Democrats suspend or kill the filibuster to codify Roe, Republicans would simply reverse that next time they take control of Congress and the presidency. I mean... Why is there still so much? I mean, I understand that hesitancy about the filibuster, but is there not something that we can do at this point of getting rid of the filibuster? Is that the next step that we should really be seriously looking at?
5: Well, look, I think that that is a really tough question because if certain Democrats like Kirsten Sinema, Senator Sinema, and Senator Manchin weren't interested in in nuking the filibuster for voting rights, which would uh, us on a path to making sure that every American has the right to vote and their vote is protected, what makes you think that Republicans would be interested in protecting the right of women uh, and abortion rights uh, to kill the filibuster on this? If they are not interested in protecting voting rights, what makes folks think that they're interested in protecting anything else?
3: Well, all right. Thank you so much, Drexel Hurd. We really appreciate you being on the show as always. You're always such great help. Now, coming up next, we have more show to talk about. And we're actually going to switch gears here because a new study is bringing up a conversation about transitioning socially and how it impacts trans youth. More with NBC
6: Out up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: Now, according to a new study, an overwhelming majority of youth who socially transition still identify as trans 5 year later. Now, why is this new information important, especially in the midst of all the anti-trans legislation we're seeing across the country? Joining us to break everything down is Joe Yakurba, NBC Out reporter. Thank you so much for being here.
7: Thank you for having me.
3: So I think we should start off by breaking down what this study is, because these findings come from a larger project called the Trans Youth Project.
7: Yes, Yeah. So researchers at Princeton started uh, this project back in 2013, and they started tracking uh, just over 300 kids who socially transitioned between the ages of 3 and 12. And they're going to follow these kids well into adulthood. So this is a very comprehensive, um, longitudinal study, uh, and they're only, you know, maybe halfway through it. Um, But they found that, you know, after five years, uh, five years after social transition, that the majority of these kids, as you said, still identify as trans, um, which is a really important finding, especially because there's so little research on this topic
4: so glad that this is being done because i'm thinking back uh, i don't know if you remember but cbs ran an entire story aimed at people who detransition, teens who detransition right. and i was like why would they do that uh, nevertheless um can you define what socially transitioning means in case you know people don't know what that means
7: Sure. Yeah. So socially transitioning generally means changing things like your clothes, your hairstyle, um, using different pronouns, using a different name. Um, so it's sort of like the first step after, for some people, the first step after coming out as trans. Um, it doesn't include any sort of medical transition. Um, and but for this study, they define socially transitioning as using the uh, pronouns of um, the opposite uh, binary gender as what the child was assigned at birth. So, for example, if they were were assigned male at birth. The study defined it, uh, that they had social transitioned if they were using she, her pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they followed these kids, and after five years, uh, the majority of them still identified as trans. Some, though, had come out as non-binary, which they said was A really interesting finding because when they began this study they said a lot of the families they talked to didn't even have language like that for non-binary or none of the kids used gender neutral pronouns so they also kind of found this evolution of how we're talking about gender which is really interesting too
3: what were the ages of these kids in this study
7: these kids were all between uh, ages 3 and 12 when they socially transitioned, which is a pretty big range. Um, and that was really interesting as well, because their study findings uh, refute sort of some other research that has shown that kids who come out as trans really young will end up changing their mind. Um, so that was a really important finding, too, is sort of related to their ages.
4: There's something to be said that these kids did not, you know, I guess, and I'm using air quotes when I say this, but like bounce back. It's like either they transitioned Mm -hmm. from A to B or existed in a non-binary realm. Um, What do you think that that study reveals to people that it does that is not one extreme to the next, so to speak?
7: Right. Yeah, I think it shows that, you know, contrary to a lot of the conversation that we're hearing about trans youth right now, Um, they do know who they are from a very young age, Um, and it's not just, you know, Mm -hmm. quote, just a phase, as it's sometimes described. Um, Really what it is, is, and researchers have been telling us this for a long time, is that kids have an internal sense of their gender and who they are from a very young age. Of course, now that we're getting more language, like non-binary and genderqueer, some Mm -hmm. people, it just takes longer for them to to really figure it out. Um, But this study really just shows us that Uh, When a child comes out as trans, um, they they know who they are, and they're not really responding to social pressure um, or something like that.
3: Yeah, and if you're just now joining us, we're talking to Joe Yakurba from NBC Out. I do wonder, you know, having these type of uh, these findings in, in this study specifically is so important with contradicting what Republicans are saying. But I often wonder... Uh, Republicans are the it feels like they're the target audience to be like checked when it comes to this but are they even going to really be paying attention to this instead of like just finding what fits their narrative.
7: Yeah, so that's a really good question uh, because you know, these uh, Republicans across the country have introduced um, dozens of bills trying to ban gender-affirming care for trans youth and they've done this despite the fact that all major relevant accredited medical organizations Uh, have come out in support of this care. And uh, trans youth have been receiving this care for decades. Um, And so it seems unlikely that, you know, this one study will change anyone's mind. Um, But it's at least, I think, helpful for the general public to know that this is a pretty large study. It's one of yeah. the biggest on this topic, um, and it really contradicts a lot of the research that the people in support of these bans on gender-affirming care for minors, the research that they're citing.
3: Yeah, and I think it's so important to also ask, are, is this study going to just stop with what they have now, or are they gonna to continue to kind of follow the children throughout the different stages of their life?
7: Right, yeah, that's the, the really uh, great and interesting part about it, too, is that they're gonna continue following them well into adulthood. Um, The researcher told me that they're going to track things like their relationships, um, the impact of their coming out on their life, um, and they'll be tracking their mental health as well, which is also going to be really important data uh, that we don't have a lot of. Mm.
3: Wow, that is incredible. I'm like, it's, it feels like it's about time we have some study and some more research like this, but I know it, it can be difficult with kids and like trying to follow them in that way and getting parents' permission. It's just mm-hmm. a process, right? And so, right. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show as always. We really appreciate having you on.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
3: All right, well, coming up next, we actually have uh, some shocking news about the person who attacked Dave Chappelle. And apparently, he was a MAGA-supporting SoundCloud rapper. Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you heard that right. We have more coming up next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: Now, if you uh, didn't know, Dave Chappelle um, was attacked during his, uh, his... Time At the Hollywood Bowl for Netflix is a joke festival that happened, Uh, he was attacked by a man that is now being identified as Isaiah Lee, who sprang from the audience during Chappelle's set, and um, the 23-year-old was arrested and charged with assault with a deadly weapon a felony after the Los Angeles Police Department determined Lee was armed with a replica gun that he allegedly aimed at Chappelle after he tackled the comedian. The replica gun also featured a knife with a short blade. So a lot of people have been asking, well, why? What, what was the motive behind this attack? Well, we're finding out that this guy... Um, was a SoundCloud, <laughs> SoundCloud MAGA rapper.
4: So, You know, those are some words (laughs) that you don't expect to hear all grouped together.
3: It was not on my uh, bingo card, if I have to be honest. So he's an uh, aspiring rapper who rhymed rhymed using the moniker no name underscore trapper. He recorded at least one rap song disparaging Chappelle and made at least one other song in which he rapped about, quote, walking straight into the bowl, which could be a reference to the Hollywood Bowl where the actual attack um you know, took place.
4: (sighs) Yes, I see that his song titled Dave Chappelle has Chappelle's name misspelled. I wonder if that was intentional, but...
3: Yeah, but here's the kicker. He's a MAGA supporter. He has another song defending uh, President Donald Trump with <laughs> lyrics that include "MAGA," my N-word, and the open-ended question, "Why is everybody always hating on my president?"
4: Oh God! You
3: know. So
4: this is one of Dave's own. You essentially. know. Let's
3: be honest here, because Dave, if you don't, if you did not know this part of it, which really bothered me, after this attack happened and after the guy got stomped out by you know security guards and, and Buster Rhymes and, yeah, and Jamie Foxx, um, <laughs> it was very interesting that the first thing that Dave Chappelle had to say was that was a trans man.
4: Yeah. Um, I was, I must say I was praying that this was not anyone that was trans and I'm glad that it's not or to, Pierce, not to be. I mean, we haven't heard from this Isaiah Lee person. Yeah. But I just the violence that would have come in, come from that, like the the vitriol online alone. Yeah. Um. But I still, Dave Chappelle turns my stomach, and I have to say, I'm very very disappointed to see some people that I really like that were actually that
3: were there. there. Yeah. Why? Are you, and my thing is, why are y'all actually bragging about and po- posting this
4: on social media that you were there? Like this well, is just
3: not something that Beyonce, I would ever post. Beyonce
4: and Jay Z were caught by paparazzi, but you know who? My oh, I, see,
3: I was thinking about friends that went.
4: My beef was with Madonna, Miss little Miss Queer Icon, who we play right mm. here at Channel Q. She took a picture with the lanyard in her mouth, and it said Team Chappelle. So, that was kind of loud it's to a me. Sta-
3: it's a statement. It's a statement. You're making a statement, a statement. about <laughs> that, and no matter if the, 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 the lanyard, that's just the go-to lanyard, you took another step to take a picture she and has, make sure that you showed that it was Team Chappelle.
4: She has, you know, LGBT people on her glam squad. I think a trans woman does her makeup. Wow. So, and you know pastes and spackles that face together to make it look decent for the public (laughs) so I just find that very strange Madonna but you know what I'm not surprised I'm not surprised
3: yeah Uh, you know another thing that's been kind of bothering me as well is the fact that you know, everyone is also connecting this to Will Smith and Chris Rock. And, of course,
4: Chris Rock Chris, Now, the joke made, was funny. The, that, that joke was, funny. was hilarious. Perfectly timed. Chris Rock
3: came in being a comedian, as comedians <laughs> do, and, and made uh, got on the mic after he hugged Dave Chappelle and said, Was that Will Smith? Perfectly timed. I mean, that was a hilarious joke. But I think what has been bothering me is the conversation happening online of us now deeming the act of attacking a comedian the Will Smith—
4: well, or That's the fact, a problem Or me. the fact that these men are just under attack. Oh, yeah. no, as if they're not the oppressors. But Ernest Owens, who's a journalist, I thought was really interesting observation um, that he pointed out that the two times comedians have been tacked, attacked on stage have been, you know, attacking black women and yeah. LGBT people. So maybe wow. watch them out. <laughs> Maybe watch them out. Oh, your my mouth. God.
3: All right. Well, we got more show coming up after this. Actually, coming up next hour, uh, hour uh, Nancy Pelosi is actually speaking out against the Scottish draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. And there's a new number that the World Health Organization just dropped about COVID. We have more coming up next. Don't go anywhere.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q.
3: Yes, it's about damn time. We are back uh, to give you more show. And uh, honey, you know, speaking of Lizzo, if you missed my iconic, my I should say myself, you know, uh, my conversation with Lizzo that we actually played here on the station, uh, you can head over to uh, wearechannelq.com to check it out. We had a very amazing conversation about her new single, About Damn Time, you know, Everything that she went through during Coachella and how really um, she shows up for the LGBTQ plus community, which was absolutely incredible, and I loved her so much. And so, you know, just a little moment there, just to give that to you. Shar Sell is here filling in to uh, for Shira Lazar, who was out. Thank you so much for being here, Shark.
4: Thanks for having me.
3: I know it's just us two. I love doing shows with us.
4: Yeah, it's good. It's always a good time. It
3: always is fun. Now, coming up on uh, this hour, why are companies making new COVID nineteen back? Vaccines and are they going to be able to save us from the COVID, the new COVID nineteen variants that we're witnessing? And then, of course, uh, we're talking about age gaps in relationships and why they're so taboo. Now, let's get into um, basically our top of the hour news. Let's do it. So uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says SCOTUS, um, the Supreme Court uh, draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade was, quote, an assault on women. Here is what she had to say.
0: We landed the night before last in Washington, D.C., and I came here the next morning. But that we landed there to the horror of the Supreme Court draft of a decision. That was an assault on women, lack of respect for women and their judgment. But it was a did violence not only to women but to the Constitution of the United States.
3: I mean, you heard it there first, um, but I'm hoping the Democrats. This lights a fire up. Everyone's behind, and Ciao. we get things done. Uh, well, the World Health Organization is estimating that nearly 15 million people were killed either by the coronavirus or by its impact on overwhelmed health systems in the past two years, more than double the official death toll of six million. Most of the fatalities were uh, in Southeast Asia, Europe, and in the Americas. And so, that's a quick little report on where are the figures are now. The figures are based on co- uh, country reported data and. Statistical modeling of the World Health Organization did not immediately break down the figures to distinguish between direct deaths from COVID-19 and others caused by the pandemic. Um, so I think we should get into our tea report because I have been waiting for yes. this news. So,
4: Garcelle Beauvais of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills in her new book is talking about her disastrous 2015 audition for
3: The View. I love celebrity books. They really they hold everything in and save it for their book.
4: Yeah, this wasn't anything that surprised me. You know, I watched, I, I read Ladies Who Punch by Ramin Satuta, who used to work for Variety. It was an in depth history of The View yes. and what goes on. Yes, and also shout out to uh, Sonny Hot and I Am These Truths. Her memoir mm-hmm. talked about how grueling that audition process is, but Garcelle says that she was shocked and appalled to see how testy Whoopi was with the show's producers, which does not surprise I me. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. She said, "I quote, I was embarrassed and disappointed to say the least. Here I was, the eager new kid in class, and I ran smack dab into the reality of an uninviting workplace. But she also described her interactions with Goldberg, Rosie Perez, and Nicole Wallace, so that was around this time, with. Which, you know, Nicole Wallace, oh, yeah. I will never forget, she found out that she was fired from that show through Variety, yeah. which I think is just so tacky. They didn't even have the dignity to tell her that she was let go. She found out in <sighs> the trade. She found out on Twitter with the rest of us. But
3: I, I think she's way better on MSNBC. if I'm yeah. being quite
4: Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that book is on, on shelves right now, and and she goes in depth about how Whoopi was. And like I said, I've heard like grueling audition processes. Yeah. I think when Sunny auditioned, it was Whoopi and Rosie in the room. And yeah. it, it can get a little heated there, but that's the T-Report for this hour you want to stick and around. The, the cameras are off too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, they're there all day yeah, doing this, you know, yeah. filtering people in. Coming up next hour, find out why Kanye West stormed out of Saturday Night Live after Kim Kardashian's opening monologue. It was revealed on this week's episode of the Kardashians on Hulu, but I'm going to tell you about it here on Channel Q. All
3: right. Well, let's keep this party going because we have to talk about this. Did you know companies are making new vaccines? And will these new vaccines be better at fighting COVID-19 variants. Well, we have our doctor, Dr. Amish Adalja joining us from the John Hopkins Center for Health Security up next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q.
3: Now, more than 40 vaccines are undergoing clinical trials in the U.S., employing a number of different approaches to protecting people from the coronavirus. And I think everyone is asking, why are companies working on these new vaccines and are they actually going to help us fight the variant of COVID-19? Joining us to break this all down is no one other than Dr. Amish Adalja, um, a senior scholar at the John Hopkins Center for Health Security. Thank you so much for joining us.
8: Thanks for having me.
3: Okay, so this is quite interesting. I, but let's just start off with why are companies working on new vaccines right now?
8: It's the same reason why Apple makes new iPhones. They're trying to innovate, trying to get better, trying to improve the technology to give more protection, longer-lasting protection, better storage, uh, something that could be get, that could be more universal, that works against more than one strain of, of COVID-19, maybe even more than one uh, of the coronaviruses. Because remember, there's four other coronaviruses that cause of our common cold. So there's a lot of innovation that will probably take place.
4: This is all so stressful to me, all of this conversation, because I'm just, (laughs) I'm really tired. I'm just really tired. Please. I would like to know, uh, will the new vaccines, like you mentioned, you kind of compared this to Apple with iPhones. So will the new vaccines be better than existing ones? And what does that
8: trial and error look like? Uh, I, any vaccine that makes it to market is likely to be an improvement over what we have here with Moderna, Pfizer, and J&J. And there are clinical trials going on. There are experiments going on trying to improve vaccines. And I think this happens all the time with vaccines that, that you routinely get. It's just not something that the public tracks the way they track COVID-19 ah, because we've okay. been trying to improve. We've been trying to improve influenza vaccines for a long time. There, there are new shingles vaccine. There is a new, uh, new, new vaccines against rotavirus. Uh, all of this happens kind of behind the scenes, and unless you track this kind of stuff, people don't know. But but what they'll do is clinical trials, and if things have improvements, uh, better against variants, better side effects, easier to store. Remember, some of these uh, need to be sorted ultra low temperatures, which makes it hard to use in, in rural or resource poor areas. All of that's going to happen with these second generation vaccines, and I think it's going to be beneficial for all of us because this isn't a virus that's going to be eradicated or eliminated, and having better vaccines and improved vaccines is always going to be something we try to do.
3: Yeah, but does that make it far more complicated when it comes to people who are already hesitant of the vaccines that we have now and then we're now coming into seeing that, oh, there's better ones. Are they really going to believe that?
8: It's hard to know exactly what the vaccine hesitant will do, but I, I think as they see more and more vaccines on the market and vaccination becomes more mainstream, not something doing, done during an emergency, but a routine vaccine, just like a flu vaccine or your measles shot, I think that might decrease the, the hesitancy. Uh, as we start to see mandates on vaccines kind of fall away, that also will probably get some of the vaccine hesitant to be interested in. Maybe, you know, there's been so much negative impressions or press about the mRNA vaccines when there are non-mRNA vaccines out there in wide abundance, maybe that will push some of those uh, 33% of the population that's not vaccinated mm-hmm. to get one of those uh, other types of vaccines that are out there that might be more traditional or, or don't have the, the, you know, the stigma that unfortunately got hit, the mRNA vaccines got unjustly hit with. Yeah,
4: I've been seeing a lot of conversations around whole virus and viral vector vaccines. What are some of the advantages of something deemed a whole virus vaccine?
8: Well, a whole virus vaccine will expose your immune system to many different proteins of the virus. So SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID-19, has 29 or so proteins. When you get a Moderna or a Pfizer vaccine or even the J&J vaccine or AstraZeneca, whatever it might be, it's a single protein you're getting exposed to. So the immunity might be more robust from a whole virus vaccine. So that's what they're looking at to see. Does it last longer? Uh, Is it more universal in terms of uh, fighting off the variants just as well as it fights off the original strain? All of that would be something that we'd be studying with the whole whole virus vaccines. But you'd have to worry about sometimes a whole virus vaccine can be more reactogenic to make your arm hurt more. So they may they'll have to kind of do cost benefit analysis on a lot of these types of uh, Issues when more and more vaccines become available.
3: So yeah, as more and more vaccines become available, I'm thinking parents out there who are still wanting to get their children vaccinated and possibly can't. Is this a possibility that as you know, technology gets better, that it'll be safer for you know younger kids to get the vaccine?
8: The vaccine is is safe for for younger children. The reason why children under the age of five don't have a vaccine has more to do with the fact that. They're trying to get the dosing right to make sure that it's effective in that age group. There's no safety signal that that anybody is worried about in the under fives. So I I think that this is something that will probably come about with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in the next several months. But it's not a safety issue that's holding it up. It's really about getting the dose right to make sure it works.
3: Well all right. Well thank you so much always Dr. Amish. Uh, you always come down here and, and break everything down for us. Yeah. So we really appreciate Thanks it. That me. was Dr. Amish Adalja, the senior scholar at John Hopkins Center for Health Security. Now we're switching gears and guess what? We're going to talk age gaps in
6: relationships. Ooh,
3: okay. Why are they still so taboo? Like who has an issue? Shar, I think you do. More <laughs> <laughs> coming up next?
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: Let's talk about a taboo that our society hasn't yet been able to shake. Nothing makes your eyebrows shoot up as quickly as meeting or hearing about a couple with a significant age gap. Why is that so hard for us to unpack? Well, joining us is Stephanie Gorlick, a sex and relationships focused kink affirming therapist and award winning author and of course has a new book called Kink Affirming Practice coming out on my birthday July 29th. Thank you so
9: much for being here. Thank you for having me.
3: Okay, so we got a lot to get into with this because I always wonder, what are some of the common challenges these types of couples face, the the ones that have the large age gaps?
9: So first and foremost, the biggest challenge is is exactly what you just said, societal stigma, right? Like we tend to immediately give side eye to couples that have a big age gap. And a lot of that has to do with the taboo nature of Older people dating significantly younger people. So that challenge, before anybody even opens their mouth, is a really big hurdle for um, age different couples you overcome. And then from there, uh, the generational divide in their own relationship, the differences in experience level, in career level, in um, just their ability to move through and relate to the world in terms of pop culture and knowledge of history and, and significant social events. All of those are some of the things that I hear about when I work with these couples.
4: Wow. Yeah. Um, Just (laughs) I'm thinking about, you know, like the taboos that come even when you break it down with gender. Yeah. You know, uh, but I want to know, should we be looking at these types of relationships as problematic? And I ask that because, like, I've been thinking to myself as you as you've been speaking, like, I think the only time people don't really raise an eyebrow is when it's two women with the vast age group. But When it's Mm. two men, people are raising eyebrows. When it's man, woman, people are raising eyebrows. And same with non-binary folk. Yeah, so I
9: think that the only time we need to be concerned about these significant age differences is when it's clear that they started dating when one of the partners was underage, right? Lexaline if Dion. If 20 and their partner is 40, fine, whatever. But if they tell me that they started dating six <laughs> years ago, now all of a sudden I have questions. Yeah. There is something to be said about, you know, letting adolescents come into full maturity before they jump into relationships. But as long as that's happened, the age difference between partners is nobody's business but theirs.
4: That's like Celine Dion and Renee. No one wants to talk <laughs> exactly. about it, but that was some grooming going on. Well, I, But
3: I, I mean, I think that's really interesting, though, to bring up the different life stages of one, per, like of two people. And the, the idea of the popular slogan, age is just a number. Okay, Should we really be moving in that way? <laughs>
9: So I mean in theory, age is just a number, but there there are real key differences in terms of what somebody is prioritizing in their life goals at a given moment. It can be difficult if your partner wants to plan for retirement and their children's college savings and you're still trying to like pick your college major you know. I mean, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being in either of those places, but it can make planning as a couple more difficult.
4: Very true. That just sent both Ryan and I—we up in the rafters, cracking up at that.
3: No, because that is what a dilemma, right? Like, I I, just—I guess I also think about. What do y'all have in common? Even your friend groups would be different, right? Socially,
4: well, she mentioned like even pop culture references. I know that that's something that would irritate me. If you don't, if you're, if I mentioned The Wiz and you don't know about Diana Ross and Michael Jackson and The Wiz, what do we have to talk about? (laughs) I do want to know how do gender roles play into how we judge? I kind of touched on this earlier, but how do gender roles or even just gender optics play a role into like how society judges the age gaps within romantic relationships?
9: I think that's a really important bias to be aware of because on both sides of the age gap spectrum we tend to sort of hypersexualize women either the older woman with the younger partner is this cougar who's seducing this young guy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or the younger woman is the sort of naive Lolita who's taking advantage of an older man who's more established, perhaps, financially. We never look at women as being capable of making autonomous, informed decisions about their relationship. We tend to sexualize their choices in a way that we don't for men or for non-binary folks. Yeah.
3: So I guess let's end this on a happy note, because, I mean, of course, Of course, we are having a really honest conversation here, but I wonder how couples with a big age gap can actually make it work.
9: Good question. So one of the things that I encourage people to do is to share their interests with their partners. If you find out that your partner has never seen the Wiz and doesn't know what you're talking about, make that your sort of Friday night at-home date night. Pop some popcorn and show each other what media and what – songs and music and people are important in your world. When we carve out time to introduce the people of all ages that we love to the things and other people that we love, we help bridge those divides.
4: Yeah. I do want to note Mm. that sometimes our peers are just as lost. I shared last week that I went on a date with someone who did not know who Pete Buttigieg was. (laughs) And I said, I can't do this. How are you functioning as an adult in the world and you don't know, you know, things. Like, you don't know things. So it it, it happens with our peers as well.
3: And I think it's also a about, like, ignoring the noise, too. Like, you can't, like, you're going to get judgment from everyone. I mean, maybe even friends or family members. You have to ignore the noise, I would assume,
9: right? Absolutely. Age does not indicate maturity. And just because somebody is in their 40s doesn't mean that they're going to be kind to their um, friend's younger partner. Wow. so... Being able to conduct yourself appropriately as an adult, making adult decisions and choices, and letting the commentary roll off your back Mm -hmm. is an important part of being in these relationships and also supporting people in these relationships.
3: Well, thank you so much, Stephanie Gorlick. We appreciate and love having you on the show every single time.
9: I love being here. Thank you so much. All
3: right. Stephanie Gorlick is a sex and relationships-focused kink-affirming therapist, an award-winning author, and I know y'all want to get her book, The Kink-Affirming Practice, coming out on my birthday, once again, July 29th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, you know, speaking of kinky, GOP Congressman Madison Cawthorne is responding to a leaked sex tape with his cousin. My God, Yeah. Today. More coming up next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q.
3: Oh, God. Why do we have to talk about Madison Cawthorn? I guess that's what we do here. On Let's go there, huh? I guess so. So, Madison Cawthorn has been really taking it.
4: He's taking it. <laughs> If you know the reference, you know the reference. <laughs> Shout out to Monique.
3: Madison Cawthorn is defending himself <laughs> after um, this alleged sex tape has been leaked, showing him naked and thrusting which, his groin at a person's head. As he claims, he was simply quote being fu- being crass with a friend, trying to be which,
4: funny. Which can we admit that this is not a sex tape? Who branded it? This it's not, I think it's because li- his behind is out, his who's, butt is out. But who's? It's still not a sex tape in any way, shape,
3: or well, form. Is it see, a sex tape? Well, we just don't know. But, where his, uh, his, his penis went, basically. Mm. You just never know. Anyway, a video published by um, Some American Muck Pack showed <laughs> Rep uh, Madison Cawthorn naked and thrusting his pelvis at another man's head. And now, on Twitter yesterday, they were saying it was his cousin. They yeah. were saying that um, he could be seen in the video screaming and chanting as he thrust
4: his pelvis. Someone it was kind of scary too. The, the you know I, the noises. Yes, yeah, the pretty noises intense. were they were scary. Someone
3: else in the background could be heard laughing and telling Cawthorn to stick it in his face.
4: My God. Uh, Cuthbert
3: has now said that the video, which is going viral on Twitter, was a joke from when he was being crass with a friend and trying to be funny. Here is a little bit of this. There is a seven-minute video that he goes one by one of all the headlines head that he has been <laughs> you know I guess called out in here is just a, the start of th- about 30 seconds of the video that he decided to post
2: author here now I'm sure that many of you have seen some outlandish stuff the media has been putting out about me over the last few weeks I've really never seen the swamp launch such a coordinated attack against any individual in politics except for Donald Trump and even though we know the fake news lies about fires in Congress like me I'm sure that many of you still have questions that are reasonable. You know, why are they attacking me? Do any of the allegations have merit? How do you explain some of it? Now, the normal political doctrine is to ride out the storm. Advisors have told me that, Madison, you have such a large lead in the polls. You're the incumbent. Don't worry about this kind of stuff. But I was elected exactly for the reason that I fight back. I won't just roll over and bend the knee. I don't...
3: (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so it goes on and on. And he goes one by one and really calls out all these things. And I do have to say all of this started to happen. He really turned up for him when he basically um, called out the senior Republicans officials, invited him to a, an orgy. And after that, it's been up here. It's like, been open season. It's been like, I don't know what's going on, but girl, it seems like the Republicans inside the party are like eating him up.
4: Yeah, because he told on them. He did. He said the quiet part out loud. He sure did. How, how'd he do it?
3: You know, I. it's just really interesting to see how people are discussing all of this. Yeah,
4: because um, you attributed it to bro culture.
3: Yeah, because I mean. Like I'm, dude bro
4: culture. And, and I
3: also think I'm attributing it because I do not want him a part of our
4: community. Yeah, I mean he <laughs> wouldn't be a part of
6: mine. <laughs> when I say are, I mean enough. I know, I know.
4: The, You got to know me and Ryan to get in. Well, you all know we're all friends here, right? We're all friends at the Channel Q. (laughs) <laughs>
3: well, that is that. We got more show coming up. <laughs> I'm going to change the subject before we get this. Oh, God. Well, we have some news about Don Lemon and um, um, his uh, actually assault case that he was going through. Oh, yeah. There's some news I, with I, that.
4: I must say I saw that update and I said, now, wow, wow, wow. That's nope.
3: a, we're going to save it for when yeah. we come back. Yeah. And we're going to come back with that and so much more. Do not go anywhere.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Rob. Channel Q. Back for another hour.
3: You know how this show goes. And we're having a wonderful, wonderful time. Sharja sale is here with me. I am obsessed with her. Filling in for Shira Lazar, who is out for her birthday. It's her birthday. It's her birthday. <laughs> even though it's tomorrow. Um, but, you know. Shout out to the earth signs. You know, shout out to them. Um, you know, I thought earth signs were supposed to be like grounded, but they're nothing of the sort.
4: No, we are. <laughs> nothing of the sort. We are. <laughs> but it also depends on your rising and your moon as well. But for mm-hmm. the most part, we're fixed signs. We're. I know Capricorn is a cardinal sign, and I'm also grounded because I'm an earth sign. I'm a bit I,
3: got, I, got, I got Earth sign in me too. I got Capricorn in my uh, my rising. What's it
4: can't be your rising. No, I think it's my moon. Probably your moon. I think it's my moon. That's why you're um, so cold with your emotions. Oh wow, drag me! But then you're still a big baby.
3: Drag me! She's dragging <laughs> me on my own show. Help! Help! Call 911. <laughs> so, okay, yes. Okay, so my sun is Leo. My moon is Sagittarius. Oh. And my rising is Capricorn, I was right. Which
4: is strange because rising is what people perceive you as.
3: Which I do think people can perceive me as a Capricorn. I doubt
4: it, no. I think,
3: yes. No. Yes. No, <laughs>
5: no.
3: Oh, well, what's coming up on the rest of the show is we are talking about, oh my God, So we really wanted to cover Cinco de Mayo in a different way because everybody has their sombreros out. And if I'm saying everybody, I really mean white people. And And their tequila. You know, and the tequila and there's the tacos. Shout out to Kendall
4: Jenner, 818. (laughs) But there was a really
3: interesting article that I found this morning. How did the holiday become more popular in the United States than Mexico? And so we have a, a journalist actually joining us to break all of that down. Um, And then, of course, we are talking about the end of legacy broadcast media. Are we over ABC, CNN, and uh, NBC and all the good ones? It seems like it is a thing. So we're going to break all that down and more. Um, but right now I think we should get into some what's trending this hour I'm just switching my music All right, here we go so uh, Jen Psaki White House Press Secretary Secretary Jen Psaki she spoke about uh, Governor Abbott um, who is Republican hinting at challenge to a SCOTUS ruling that protects the right to free public education for all kids including those with undocumented undocumented parents she says quote that's ultra MAGA right there that is not a mainstream POV. Here is the clip because I have to play it.
2: Uh, Texas Governor Abbott indicated that Texas may seek to overturn the 1982 Supreme Court decision that found that states were required to offer free public education to all students, including uh, the children of undocumented immigrants. Does the White House have any response to those comments from Abbott?
10: Well, that's ultra-mega uh, right there, uh, the, pres- the president talked about yesterday. We're talking about I Think. just to restate that denying public education to kids including uh, immigrants to this country i mean that is not the main a mainstream point of view
3: you know i love that it's not a mainstream point of view and honestly as we as Jen Zaki leaves, I just I hope someone puts together a montage of all the times that she likes. Her greatest hits? Please, like her greatest hits, mom. Um, I would appreciate it that. It would be incredible. Maybe to MSNBC
4: watch. is a welcome package. Yeah. Or Comedy Central. I could see Trevor Noah doing Maybe. something like that. So,
3: real quick, before I, I throw it over to you, Shar for the T Report, uh, Don Lemon, the guy that was uh, basically um, suing him for assault, Dustin Heiss has dropped his assault lawsuit against CNN um, anchor Don Lemon ending years of litigation. Uh, Dustin's lawsuit initially accused Lemon of committing um, sexual misconduct, but in a recent announcement, he said that he misremembered the incident. Dustin's case fell apart uh, from one witness, contradicting his version of events, and lawyers found evidence that Heist had offered to pay a supporting witness money for favorable testimony. Despite dropping the lawsuit, a judge has ordered Heist to now pay Lemon $77,000 in lawyer fees yeah wow that's intense yeah
4: i got questions don't we all I have lots and lots and lots of questions but it's your
3: turn get into the tea report before we have so, to
4: get out so uh, the kardashians i watched the latest episode last night i know that you haven't but in the latest episode kim kardashian reveals that kanye west Storm, well, I shouldn't say stormed. He walked off the set. I say stormed. Do, uh, do it just like a headline. Of Saturday Night Live when she did her opening monologue last year. Now, the issue is that Kim said, her joke was, I married the best rapper of all time. Not only that, he's the richest black man in America. A talented, gifted genius that gave me four incredible kids. So when I divorced him, you know that it came down to one thing. His personality. That was mm. that was the line. But Kanye was pissed. Because when Kim, when she was on the walk with Chloe, so she's on a walking trail with Chloe, and she said that he is upset that she said that she divorced him and used the words divorced. He wishes that she would have said, filed for divorce and he's also upset Why? With, uh, why?
3: Maybe for he's For context because he,
4: he didn't want to let her go But also, The divorce
3: wasn't final he, I feel like he did that whole thing if you watched the last episode where he went and got the, the yeah. computers I feel like he was doing all these things to be the hero Emotional but manipulation Yeah but that doesn't mean that she was going to take you back at any
4: point But check this out She was also, already texting
3: Pete Davidson He at also that point. was
4: upset Not true No girl She was most no, they heavily, met
3: at Saturday Night Live But I mean they, they like started that moment at that It would overlap It could. overlap Overlap, for sure.
4: He also was upset because she used the word rapper. He said, I'm so much more than a rapper. Oh. I, I can't believe you said rapper. And she revealed at at this point in time when she was on this walking trail with Chloe, she says she hadn't spoken to him since. And Chloe points out, and Kim says, I've sat through so many speeches that have not been the most comfortable for me but that was my partner and I stood by him. I would never embarrass him and walk out and leave. And Chloe also alluded, which I loved, is that she pointed out to all that Kim has endured and she alluded, Chloe didn't say specifically but she alluded, you know, all the MAGA stuff and remember when Kanye had that breakdown and said that Kim almost aborted North. So uh, that's the T-Report for this hour. You want to stick around for next hour. I got some some Netflix drama for you.
3: All right, so we got to talk about Cinco de Mayo and why it's so popular in the States and not Mexico. We got more coming up next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: Okay, so you know today is uh, you know obviously Cinco de Mayo, Cinco
4: right? Cinco de Mayo
3: is holiday time. Can you please not do this?
4: <laughs> I've been singing it
3: all day, <laughs> all day. Shout out
4: to girlfriends. Yes, well,
3: Cinco de Mayo, of course, is a huge holiday here in the States, but we wanted it to cover in a different way because everyone is having their celebrations, is celebrating Mexican culture, but really do they understand? And how did it become such a big popular holiday mm-hmm. here, but not as popular in Mexico? Well, guess what? We have a journalist, Maria Jimenez-Moya, jo- joining us to actually break all of this down. Thanks for being on the show today.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
3: First of all, you are amazing for doing this while you're driving. I'm obsessed with you. Please be careful. Please. Uh, uh, but I, I guess I want to I, I, I start this off with about, like, Cinco de Mayo. What does it really mean to you in this living here in the States and kind of seeing everybody celebrated in the ways that they do?
0: I think that everybody's experience is different. I was born and raised in Mexico, and I didn't emigrate it until I was a teenager. So for me, it was always kind of weird and when people were asking me, like, oh, Cinco Mayo, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, going home and napping? <laughs> so it was always, like, an interesting experience getting asked, you know, while living here, why my friends were thinking Cinco Mario. And it wasn't pretty much until I got to college where I realized that people truly believe that it's Mexican Independence Day. Um, when it, It's not at all In Mexico we don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo It is not acknowledged at all It's a regular day in our calendar The only place where Cinco de Mayo is celebrating in Mexico would in Puebla mm-hmm. Which only there it is an actual holiday So Cinco de Mayo actually celebrates La Batalla de Puebla Which was a battle between the French and the Mexican uh, When Napoleon came and kind of tried to take land from us so Mexico had the odds of losing that battle, and we ended up winning that battle. So it was, uh, so it, and the battle happened in Puebla, so it was a celebration about us defeating the French as an underdog, and, uh, you know, everybody was like, woohoo, and it showed that Mexico kind of could defeat a conquistador, and they could stand stand their ground, and the impact that it had in the U.S. is that it actually held in the U.S. civil war, because they were not able to use France as an ally because France had lost resources uh, at the Cinque Mayo battle. So,
4: so in the That's name... That In in the name of American ignorance, how did this snowball to be such an Americanized holiday? Because, you know, we see people appropriating culture, wearing sombreros. We had a company party that had tacos and quesadillas and margaritas and all different types of things. So how did this snowball to become so popular in the States?
0: Yes, so it actually affected the Chicano movement. So Chicano is anybody from Mexican parents that was, born and raised in the U.S. Think about your first generation Mexican uh, in the States. And they were, you know, kind of going through this struggle of not being American enough, but not being Mexican enough, but rather creating their whole culture, which is a chicken X culture. Um, so they actually tied the Cinco de Mayo holiday as a way of representing their chicken X culture and being proud of that. And one of the holiday was tied, um, to the Chicano moment, beer companies started to pick up on it. And that's when the commercialization of Cinco de Mayo became what we know today. So it was all truly like a marketing and propaganda scheme that came from beer companies. Wow. Which... <laughs> I, I, welcome and, I mean, and,
3: and it's <laughs> like, in all honesty, I'm. Not, it's not even shocking at this point that that's where we are right now. And I just wonder, moving forward as... This holiday is clearly a staple here in the States. How do we... Do we celebrate it without the appropriation? Or is that even, like, a possibility to do it? Do we just stop
0: celebrating it? I think that, uh, you know, if you want to celebrate it, like, you know, you can celebrate it. I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrate it, as long as you understand that meaning that it has. And celebrate it for, like, it contributing to the victory of the U.S. in the Civil War. Don't celebrate it as, like, a Mexican Independence Day, but actually be like, oh, cool, like, you know, the Mexicans actually helped us out to abolish slavery, you know? Like, celebrate with that connotation of something good, rather than, like, let me just put a on and go drink a margarita. So, so I don't think
7: it's
0: it, especially, you know, if you're Connect. It could be a huge part of your culture yeah. and how you identify. So just, like, understand where it's actually coming from. And it's basically just educating yourself a little bit more about
3: it. Well, we loved having you on. Thank you so much for joining the show today. That was Marina Jimenez Moya. We honestly thank you for being here. We, I appreciate you so
0: much. Thank you so much for reaching
3: out, and I appreciate you having me. All right. Well, coming up next, we're talking about the possible end of legacy media. What, the, what does that mean? Because is it the end of ABC? Is it the end oh, of CNN? No. Well, we're going to talk about it coming up next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q.
3: Now, this may come as a shock to many, but for the past decade, viewers and listeners have gradually been abandoning legacy broadcast media, which refers to news media institutes, you know, like that were before the digital era like ABC. NBC CNN you know just CBS yeah just to name all of the girls well we saw this happen in the wake of CNN ending its new streaming platform CNN plus hadn't heard of it well kind of same well joining us to break down what this means for the future of legacy broadcast media is Dr. Nolan Higgin uh, who is a history media studies and education lecturer and the author of the autonomy of fake news a critical news education thank you so much for joining the show today
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
3: So this is really interesting. If you could put a timeline on this, when would you say this shift of abandoning these news outlets kind of started?
1: I think you, you really have to go back to definitely the last uh, 10 or 15 years, you know the, the advent of uh, social media has, has drawn away audiences. Uh, the accessibility of like streaming services like Netflix and YouTube have drawn away audiences. Um, and I think also the proliferation of, of podcasts as well that, that mm. people are you know choosing to engage with podcasters and things like that over traditional legacy media
4: how has the 24hour news cycle contributed to the death of a lot of legacy media if at all
1: <laughs> no it's a, it's a great question um, you know it's a it's a careful kind of what you what you wish for um, the 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 24-hour news cycles, you know, been so popular since the 1980s, um, but you know, they've consistently got very important stories just flat out wrong. You know, I'm one of those people. When I was about 18 years old, um, they blew the weapons of mass destruction story that led us to the, the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and after you have like these consistent failures, audiences remember this. So it's not even necessarily that audiences, you know, trust like social media more. They just really recognize the problems with legacy media.
3: Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I wonder how have, like, cable news outlets kind of responded to this change? Because it seems like CNN was trying to jump on the streaming platform, yeah. Ram, and we're seeing all, everyone do it, but it just fails.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they first tried to, you know, like, chide audiences, right? They were, uh, you know, mocking all the people who go online and listen to podcasts. Um, that wasn't working. So, yeah, they tried to get in the game with CNN Plus, but, you know, the the... You know, cataclysmic failure of CNN Plus, and we can't overstate how big of a failure that was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars um, were spent on that venture. Uh, the fact that it failed and collapsed so quickly, it, it should make them realize that it's not the, the platform that people are attracted to, it's the, the content they get elsewhere. And, and Legacy Media's content is just personality-driven, it's hyper-partisan, it makes everything trivial, and, and audiences are just more sophisticated. They'd rather go listen to, like, a, a podcast or for three hours interview someone. <laughs> Uh, You know, then listen to, like, uh, the Cuomo brothers, um, you know, sit there and talk about their family history and things
4: like that. There's something to be said, because Fox's streaming service seems to be doing pretty well. You know, Sharon Osbourne has a documentary coming to that. Tucker Carlson is doing, like, I wonder with speaking to that partisanship, how is it that Fox's uh, streaming network, Fox News, I should say, Fox News's streaming network has not crashed and burned in the ways that CNN's has?
1: I'm not. Uh, I'm not really uh, familiar with Fox's numbers, um, but I do know that that Tucker Carlson, um, who I'm not not a fan of, um, but draws in <laughs> quite a large audience. So a, a figure like a, a Carlson or maybe even like a Rachel Maddow from MSNBC, they could be someone who's so popular they could bring some of those audiences over to digital spaces.
3: Yeah, but I mean, even if audiences are migrating to like podcasts where they're listening to three-hour ones, what comes to mind is um like folks going to like a Joe Rogan and Ooh. finding out their inform- like you know information from there and it turns into misinformation how do we you know stop that gap because it does feel like in the era of fake news outlets kind of have the lost media their literacy amongst the
4: public yeah. is all over the place yeah
1: yeah i think that's the the right answer is is media literacy training people to be able to determine the veracity of information themselves um i think too often we have this knee-jerk reaction that we want to censor or we want to make lists of known fake news producers and it's just not constructive and it's not democratic i have faith that if you you know train people with the skills they, they have the ability to analyze information on their own and you know folks folks like rogan yeah he does have people on there who spread misinformation but but so does fox and cnn that you know the new york times was involved in the wmd story nobody's perfect and so we need to be more sophisticated in how we look at information. Mm,
4: interesting. Yeah, I want everybody to get on board. I was just telling Ryan yesterday I saw a legit tweet <laughs> Please, from someone who up. thought that Dwayne Wade, yes, NBA star Dwayne Wade, was the Wade in Roe versus Wade. And they went on a whole tirade. And it, I was ready for the asteroid to hit because I'm, t- I'm tired. Uh, now, in what ways can, can these outlets regain their credibility with audiences? You know, you kind of spoke to this earlier, you know, with how audiences... Tend to retain and remember when people, you know, Mess trip up. over themselves. Yeah. So how how can they regain and or maintain credibility amongst audiences in this day and age?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. I think one of the things they could do is you know own their mistakes. There's been a long tradition of, in journalism of making corrections, but um, we just we haven't seen that recently. I mean, Fox News had like utter lies about Black Lives Matter protests with with no retraction,s or CNN, MSNBC. Had utter lies about like Russia meddling in like, U.S. affairs with no retractions, so I think you know showing that you know there's some accountability at that level would be great. And then some of these folks who've made careers, you know, out of lying. Like remember Brian Williams lied about being involved in like a helicopter attack during a, a war while being in a war zone, and he was still allowed to be on the air. Like you, you've got to remove people from the airwaves who've shown that they're totally comfortable lying.
3: Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, this is really interesting to to have this discussion about this. I, I, I mean, want to take your class. I know, right? <laughs> it seems like, I would love to take your class. But thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate having you.
1: Hey, thank you, thank you so much, Ben. Really an honor and a pleasure, and I love talking to, to media makers who are doing great work like all of you. Really God, appreciate it.
3: Thank you, Just thank you. I mean, wait we until we, mess, so it hard. Wait until we mess it up. Wait until we mess <laughs> it up. Doctor Nolan Higgin, history, media studies, and education lecturer, and the author of "The Autonomy of Fake News: A Critical News Education." Now, coming up next, we're talking about a Florida middle school teacher who was fired after disclosing that she was pansexual. We're going to dive in on that. Coming up next, don't go
6: anywhere. Now she knew better. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
3: We are back, and of course, we are still
4: here with I Sell, who is filling in for Shira Lazar while she's out. Excited to be here. <laughs> Happy Cinco de Mayo. It's getting to me, kids. It's getting to me. It's getting to
3: me. Well, I will say, you know, you mentioned this earlier before, but our office, they did a, a really fun Cinco de Mayo celebration upstairs with the, I mean, the full entire works. We had the churros. We had the tacos. You got a quesadilla, which I'm still haunting the fact that I did
4: not well, I had nachos yeah. earlier. Like I'm still stuffed. I've just been sipping oh. water the whole show. Cause when I got, I got into it at like 11 something. And the water
3: could probably fill you up too.
4: I mean, yeah, but I'll probably be eating later today. I, yeah. I'm not hungry, and yeah. I feel like I'm about to burst. <laughs> I ate a lot today. I had two churros, a quesadilla. Etc. cetera. Et cetera. <laughs> they still got the food out there in the break room. I might go grab me a little yeah.
3: something, something. But no, it was all delicious, and so I.
4: Uh, oh, it's just been a really
3: fun day, if I'm being quite honest. Coming up on the this hour of the show, we are most definitely talking age gaps in relationships, and why are there like? Is it worse for like certain genders? is it worse for like if the
4: the you know the older person is a man and the younger person is a woman is the if it's a,
3: you know what still, how is it problematic here
4: I still personally think that the only time people don't raise an eyebrow is when it's a lesbian relationship with yeah. a large age gap Yeah no Sarah one Paulson an and um I mean, people kind of make fun at it, jokes about that, but not at the rate when it's an older guy and a younger guy. Shout yeah. out to Palm Springs listeners out there. Oh my goodness!
3: <laughs> and then, of course, we are talking <laughs> about um, we're talking about the the new study that came out from Princeton about uh, trans youth who have socially transitioned and yeah. how they are still, you know. Standing firm in their identity five years later. What? You mean they are who they say they you are? are? I mean, wow. wow. Who would have thunk it? Well, we're going to uh, go get into that and more. So stick around for that. And of course, let's talk about what's trending this hour. um... So U.S. State Department, uh, the U.S. State Department has declared that Russian authorities, quote, wrongfully detained lesbian pro basketball player Brittany Griner when they arrested her for allegedly uh, for alleged drug charges in February. The department announced on Tuesday that it will lead an interagency team to help secure her release. But in the meantime, Griner may remain a bargaining chip as Russia opposes the U.S. amid Russia's deadly ongoing invasion of Ukraine. That is so sick that a queer black woman is literally being a bargaining chip. Which we In knew, the middle of this war. Which we
4: knew was going to happen. In
3: the middle of this war. We
4: knew that this was going to happen.
3: Disgusting. Um, according to a State Department a spokesperson that talked to Washington Blade, they said the Department of State has determined that the Russian Federation has wrongfully detained U.S. citizen Brittany Griner. The U.S. government will continue to provide appropriate cons- consular support to Miss Griner. Mm.
4: Oh, gosh.
3: Um, Well, Robert Reagan, a Republican candidate for the Michigan House of Representatives, lost an election. Is he
4: related to Ronald Reagan? I
3: hope not. And good old Nancy. <laughs> uh, for the Michigan House of Representatives, he lost an election. He was heavily favored to win last night to Democrat Carol Glanville. Uh, Reagan became infamous during the election for publicly joking about telling his daughters to, quote, lie back and enjoy being oh, raised. please, please, please. Here trigger is, warning. Yeah, tr- I mean, major My trigger God. warning. Here is that Ugh. clip.
5: You know, having three daughters, and I tell my daughters, well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it. So um, I, that's not how we roll. That's not how I won this.
3: And he was saying that uh. in connection, let's be, like, he was comparing accepting the election results of 2020 to laying back and accepting a rape.
4: These people are what? unhinged. What? This makes me think of what's the Giuliani son who, who was talking about his infant daughter in a hypersexual way? I
3: don't even, I don't even know Oh, that. I'll and tell you even, off I don't air. I you don't, yeah. I just, uh, it's it's, uh, unhinged, uh, it's
4: unhinged. It's unhinged. It's disgusting. It's disturbing. It yeah. really bothers me.
3: Well, the crazy thing, uh, though, various state rep- uh, Republicans officials denounced his remarks without ever specifically like referencing them. The state party never asked him to withdraw his candidacy. And so guess what? His ass lost. That is your time of the hour news
4: let's go to the t-report
3: so the Uh, t-report
4: i'm very excited about this i just was reading on one of the hollywood trades that david letterman's emmy-nominated talk show series my next guest needs no introduction with david letterman is set to return to netflix on may 20th and this is the fourth season it's a netflix original and it'll have six episodes now do you want to hear who it is this
3: this I, i need to know because my favorite is it what is it called? My next guest. My next guest. I'm gonna say my favorite guest. My next guest is such a great series. It's just David Letterman doing what he's good at,
4: which is so oh, funny to me because so great. the show honestly reminds me of something like Oprah adjacent. And you know, oh, it is. There's but, two chairs. But what I'm saying is, Oprah and David Letterman had a, a historic beef that lasted for decades because and he so, never.
3: I mean, that, and then that, it was uh, the last season of her show where he went. She went on the yeah, show, right? Yeah.
4: Because he picked at her weight and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of stuff all mm-hmm. throughout the. Years. Yeah. but anyway here are the six people are you all ready right, six
3: people and we got to wrap we got cardi b okay kevin
4: durant all right billy eilish okay julia louis dreyfus yes ryan reynolds okay and drum roll oh my god will smith oh now we don't know when this was taped but I'm going to be watching all six of these because I like all six of these people. And like I said, that comes to Netflix in like two weeks, May 20th. Oh, I'm so excited.
3: I'll be glued to my television. That's Friday,
4: May 20th. That's Mm when I need to have all my looks and stuff together.
3: All right, so that is your T-Report. If you want to check out any of the stories that Shar has covered, head over to weirdchannelQ.com And, of course, any of the headlines I've covered, they are there as well. I'm ignoring Shar for the remainder of the show. And coming up next, age gaps. Are they as problematic as we look at them, as society deems them to be?
6: We have more coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. All
3: right, it is time for my favorite part of the show. It's the what? Yeah. Yes, queen. And honey, this part of the show, we love to just end the show on a high note, celebrating something or someone or some organization that is doing really incredible work. And this one goes out to Kareen John pierre um, who will become the new White House press secretary when Jen Psaki departs her role in the coming weeks. Now, we reported on this earlier in the show, but we were like, no, it's too good. It's, it's too big of a moment because she's becoming the first black and out LGBTQ person to hold the position. She has
4: natural hair. Hair. I mean, there's a lot of optics stunning. going on here. Absolutely. Black women stunning. are rising to power. Shout yes. out to Katanji, Brown Jack, S- yes. you know, Supreme Court Justice Katanji. Yes. Michelle Obama. Look, we, we're in the building, okay? <laughs>
3: Be clear. <laughs> here is Jen Saki
10: today uh, speaking
3: <laughs> to the press about
10: this historic moment. So, um, uh, I just want to uh, take the opportunity to celebrate and congratulate my friend, my colleague. My partner in truth, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the next White House Press Secretary. Uh, Now, many people in this room have known her for some time, Um, but for anyone who does not know her, I want to provide a little bit of a primer for you, so settle in. Um, First, as you all know, she will be the first black woman, uh, the first out LGBTQ person to serve in this role, uh, which is amazing because representation matters, and she is going to, uh, st- she will give a voice to so many, and allow and show so many what is truly possible when you work hard and dream big, and that matters, and we should not, uh, we should celebrate that.
3: It was too quiet up in that press room. I'm sorry. It w- if it was like any graduation, I would have been in, like my mother or like my family members, they would have had an uh, air <laughs> horn. Is she Haitian? I have no clue. Um, I feel like
4: Jean-Pierre is a Haitian
3: surname. But President Biden in his statement said, Corrine not only brings the experience, talent, and integrity needed for this difficult job, but she will continue to lead the way in communicating about the work of the Biden-Harris administration on behalf of the American people. And honey, Corrine, Jean-Pierre, you get a huge... Yes, queen. And that does it for our wonderful show. Wow. wow, we did it. We really did it. Happy Cinco de Mayo to everyone. Please, whatever you're doing, be safe. Do not culturally appropriate. Leave the sombreros and, at home. And also
4: do not uh, drive under any sort of influence that today. That too. Please, please, okay. please
3: be safe. Sharjah, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to hang out with you tomorrow.
4: Yes, and it'll be Friday.
3: Yes, it will be. And honey, we are talking about a lot because if you did not know people are still trying to figure out how they're going to be able to get abortion access um, to abortion just healthcare in general and according to the Washington Post abortion pills may be you know going through the mail at this point there's a mail in perspective of this and so we don't have the Washington Post joining us All right. and then of course we are talking about um, a new podcast called Being Trans we'll have one of the stars especially one uh, Sharjah Sell she uh, not only hosted the premiere, but you also co-consulted. Uh, I, I was the
4: consulting
3: producer. Yes, consulting producer. That's what I was That was my for. title, okay? <laughs>
4: consulting producer. It's been quite a ride. I've known of these people since October. Yeah. So I'm so excited to have one of the stars on. And it's available anywhere you get podcasts. Check it out. It's yes. Being Trans. Epi- uh. Episode two comes out. Wait, this week. All right. Okay. Yeah, this, yeah. That's going to be great. So stick around for
3: a wonderful show tomorrow. Y'all, I love y'all. Remember to slay and have a beautiful
4: day. I love us for real. And bye.
3: Check out Dr. Chris, who is coming on right after us. Don't go anywhere and have a wonderful rest of the night, y'all. Bye.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?